when you first watched yourself and listened to yourself, it's a horrifying experience. And a lot of people run from that. And they, you know what? I just can't do it. I just can't listen to myself. I just can't watch myself. Well, if you want to get better, you've got to do it. You've just got to do it. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to listen to yourself. Find someone who's going to really give you like the honest truth. And you got to be ready to hear it. And you got to be ready to accept it. And you got to be ready to act on it. How do you think about your content? What comes first? The business incentives or the creative incentives? For those of us who create content for a living, you really can't have one without the other. Welcome to Grounded Content. I'm your host, Marian Abrams. This is the show for you if you are a professional content creator, a content strategist, or a brand or entrepreneur struggling to figure out how to make your content effective. Today's guest is Chris Stone. If you know Chris, you may know him through his show with Jim Fuse called Dealcasters. It's a show on Amazon Live. These two have been so groundbreaking in this area, Amazon Live content, that they put together an entire day's program at the last PodFest Expo in Orlando. We talk about all of that, how he and Jim are using Amazon Live as a platform for dealcasters, how they became profitable in about a year. But we talk even more about the human side. What does it mean to be a content creator? And what does it mean to be on a journey of continuous improvement? One of the things we realized is that creating your own content It's like the best video analysis you could do in any sport. It's a fast track to self-development if you let it be. One of my coaching clients never ended up starting her podcast, but she said the process that we went through in developing her voice and developing her message was some of the best executive presence training that she had ever done. All right, let's get right into the interview. Welcome to the show, Chris. You and I met, I think, on Clubhouse... I met some really great people that way. I'm so yeah, fortunate. Yeah, I remember that thing. I remember that whole social audio thing. That was going to replace podcasting, right? I met some really great people. And I also think it was really exciting because it was a new space and people were actually being very creative, being very honest, experimenting, and they didn't really understand yet how to game the system. Exactly. And I think that it was great. We got in there and I was like, oh, this person's really cool. And I connected with you on Instagram. And then I saw a few videos and I was like, whoa. And then of course that sent me down the rabbit hole to this podcast and just everything that you have going in your history. And so I'm truly honored to be on this show. Yeah, so keep going. On Tell me how show. great I am. Yes, this is why you've amazing, been invited. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. But you know I'm a huge fan of yours, Mary. And vice and, versa. Uh, and vice yeah. versa. So I love what you and Jim are doing. And Thank you. One of the things I wanted to talk about is a little bit of that creative journey. So you and I got to know each other a little better when you invited me on Dealcasters, which is your live show on Amazon. And, you know, looking back at it now, we were both a little bit rougher around the edges. We've figured a lot of things out since then. But tell me about what instigated that show. What were you and Jim thinking? Yeah, Jim and I have different businesses, but similar. There's a Venn diagram there of business that he does and business that I do, but it mostly centers around podcasting, live streaming, and remote production. And Jim called me and said, hey, I think we have our show. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we're Amazon influencers. And I was like, what's an Amazon influencer? And he's like, well, I watched this video from Ross Brand and I submitted and we got approved to be Amazon influencers. So we have a show. And so why not just go live on Amazon and demonstrate like we're doing? Then we can multi-stream to different platforms 
and pull down the audio and make an audio podcast, and that will be our show. And I was like, this is brilliant. We'll go live in the middle of the biggest mall in the world and just do our show, demonstrate stuff, talk to people that understand how to use this stuff. So, you know, why not do that? And our expectation truly was not to make however many dollars or create some sort of influence. Our thing was, this is a differentiator for us. This is an opportunity for us to say, hey, Dave Jackson, you have a new book coming out called Profit for Your Podcast. Would you be on our show on Amazon? Now, Dave Jackson probably gets 10 emails a day asking to be on somebody's podcast. He probably hasn't gotten 10 requests ever since Amazon Live was a thing to be on someone's Amazon show. So it was a differentiator for us to be able to say that and then talk about the repurposing and talking about where that show was. So that really was how the show was born. And so it really remains our mindset going forward, even though we've had some relative, I guess, success and people look to Jim and I as like the Amazon, you know, quote unquote experts, even though I don't love that term, but if people call me that, I mean, what can you do, right? So they say that and that's fine. You know, we just never expected all of this stuff that came as a part of it. So we just try to stay true to why we started it, because you never know at any point in time, Bezos could snap his fingers and say, you know, no more Amazon influencer program. And all of that stuff we built was on rented land. So we continue to try to take some ownership of what we do and build that brand in other places as well. Well, that's what I think the technology will change. I mean, like this is how we started with our conversation about Clubhouse and Vine and all these things. We know the technology will change. And so how do you future-proof is building your skill set, your brand with Jim, all those things, but also staying really on top of and curious about the current trends. Because if we hadn't gotten into Clubhouse, we wouldn't have met. You know, this conversation wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have built the audience that you've built in the same way. So yes, stay on top of the trends. But then you can kind of ride those waves if you have that sort of feet on the ground about who you are. So did you at any point think about live versus not live? Was there any question in your mind about setting up a live show? Not at all. To me, what live video has done is I'm a recovering perfectionist, to steal a term from Ian Anderson Gray. And, you know, much like yourself, I'm a video editor and audio editor. And so I've spent hours and hours and I mean, I don't even know how many hours just going through whatever DAW there is and, you know, figuring out how to do things and how to hack things. And so it sort of has always been this thing for me to have something be perfect. And mentally, I just have to cut the cord. And so what really changed for me was there's a speaker named Craig Rochelle. He has the uh, Global Leadership Summit. And he has this acronym that he uses called GETMO. And it stands for good enough to move on. He explained like the XY axis and he called it a bend the curve. And the X axis is the amount of time you spend on something. And the Y axis is your return on that time investment, you know, like whatever it is, mostly it's revenue. And so the thought is, is that if the longer you spend on something, the more beneficial it'll eventually become. But what happens is that it's just a flat, long line. And so what you have to do is you have to just cut where you're at and then just continue to move on and do more things. It's like moving like a shark is really where I started. And so live video was a great way to, for me to just go, okay, I said a lot of ums, I repair, you know, I, I, I fumbled like I just did there. 
I repeated words, all those things that I used to cut out in a podcast or all of that stuff or try to mask it. You know what? Forget it. I'll learn from that. And next time I'll just get better and I'll just get better. And then, you know, the next one will be better than the next one will be better than the next one. And so that's why when we look back at the show that you were on a dealcasters, we get a little cringy at times like, Ooh, I can't believe I said that. Or I can't believe I did that. But like at the same time, I feel awesome because I look at you and I think at the time I thought that was an amazing episode. I still do. But now I look at you now and I think, look how far you've come. And that makes me feel great. Yeah. It doesn't make me feel like you should ever be embarrassed about that because, you know, that was a part of where you're at now. I was just talking to somebody about this and I started doing a live show with a friend of mine and we're just putting in the reps. It's really about getting better. And I was saying to her that I realized I was really nervous about it because as a coach and a consultant, I thought I've built a successful podcast. I now coach and consult with people. What if they see me and they say, "Eh, she's not that great a host. I'm better than that. But then I had two realizations. And one was, you know, the best football coach isn't necessarily the best player. But the other is that My hosting has made me a better coach, of course, the empathy element, but my coaching has made me a better host. So I think of myself as like, I'm the test case. Look at me two years ago and look at me today. And I've come so far. I've learned so much using my own coaching. So I feel like I'm like the poster child. Even my mistakes are part of that journey of continuous improvement that, you know, show that this is a process of learning that you aren't born a great host. You can get better and better. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like Bill Belichick isn't in the Hall of Fame for being a football player, you know, right. but he was you know, one of the greatest head coaches of all time. And, you know, there's not a single player that would disagree with you that ever played for that right. person. You get better by doing. And so as content creators, and I, I actually think the word content creator, I, it just doesn't do an, I mean, it's the word that everyone has to use, but. What would you use? Is there a better word? Oh God, I don't, see, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know a better one, but I think like anyone that's recorded anything, a piece of audio from a Zoom recording is technically a content creator. I think after you create something, what you do with it then, that's really what we're talking about when we say content creator. You know, I use the word content entrepreneur, but I don't like to get hung up on semantics, but I think you get better by creating more than you consume. And so there's just so much consumption. There's so many feeds and things being thrown at you. And we're just quick to run to a scroll and sort of go, oh, look what this is doing. And it's great to have inspiration and great to have influence, but doing something with it and understanding when you first do it, it's not going to be just like what you're seeing. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't ever be just like what you're seeing. I think it was my son who pointed out to me, and I don't know where he heard it, but one of his favorite influencers or, you know, creators said, you know, when you start, your critical taste is much better than your ability. So you're like, you can tell you're like, oh, this is terrible, but your ability isn't up to that level yet. And so I think when you know what sounds good and you know what looks good, you may not necessarily be able to create it yourself. I used to really care about what people thought about me. You'll care less about what people think about you when you realize how little time they spend thinking about you. And so that's another thing that I had to just move past with my perfectionism is, you know what? This is where I'm at right now. This works. I'm going to stop and I'm going to put that out there 
And then all of a sudden you get all this feedback and they're like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. And you're like, I was going to spend another 16 hours doing that video, probably. And it was like, don't do that. It's so interesting that you say that because the way we're talking about this, I think creating content, if we want to call it that, doing video and audio recordings are actually such a great fast track to self-development and self-improvement. Because you think about it, you know, the best ski lessons, you go to the ski instructor, they tell you what you're doing wrong, you don't really hear it until they videotape you and you watch it back and you say, oh, wow, I really was doing that. And so the human interactions, we don't usually get that real life feedback. And creating content is like a fast track of feedback loop to learn about how you are portraying yourself, how you're conveying yourself, how you're talking to people. It is. It is. And it's important. You know, a lot of people and probably I was guilty of this, Marion, I can't speak for you, but when you first watched yourself and listened to yourself, it's a horrifying experience. And a lot of people run from that. And then, you know what? I just can't do it. I just can't listen to myself. I just can't watch myself. Well, if you want to get better, you've got to do it. You've just got to do it. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to listen to yourself. Find someone who's going to really give you like the honest truth. And you got to be ready to hear it. And you got to be ready to accept it. And you got to be ready to act on it. And one of the most important things I do to get better is I have about three or four people. And Jim Fuse, my partner on Dealcasters, is one of them. Jim, I, you know, and it may not be something related to Dealcasters, it be a podcast edit. What do you think of this? Mm, that's too busy. You, you know, like you're going to lose people with this, that, or the other. And then I'll go back and I'll watch it and I'll listen to it. And I'm like, he's 100% right. 100% right. And I'll change it. And then that just makes you better. Yeah, that's so right on. And one of the things with my podcast coaching clients, the first thing I say is, listen to your show. And I tell them, listen to your show like your listeners do, you know, with the earbuds while you're doing laundry. And I tell them, ask yourself four questions, which are, when was I bored? When was it repetitive? When was I confused? And when did it grab my attention in a good way? And you would be amazed how difficult a step that is to get people to actually listen to their own show, but it's the only way you can get better. And then the other piece that I love that you shared was asking the right people and asking them the right questions. I think a lot of times people will ask you their opinions and you know that's all they want is they want you to tell them how good it is. That's what they want. And so before I listen or watch anything, I don't care if it's somebody that's a friend of mine, family member, or whomever. And a lot of people are taken aback by this. I'll say, okay, just so you know, I am going to give you my 100% honest opinion. And I want you to know that I still want to be friends with you. Like I will say that <laughs> right up front. Good for you. That's great. Because I've had conversations with clients where I can't get a yes or a no out of them. And I would say, listen, you can tell me no, I will still be friends. So I think in sales, those conversations help when you're trying to help others and someone wants your honest feedback, it's only going to help them. And I'm not going to say anything offensive. I'm just going to be honest. I want to help that person. And if they don't want to take it, then that's fine. I mean, I, there's nothing I can do about it. Can you remember some piece of feedback somebody gave you that really helped that changed the trajectory of things? I had a really good friend and she said, I think you care too much about what people think of you. And, you know, at first I was like, well, of course you, uh, we all care about what people think about you. And she's like, no, 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 don't get it twisted. It's like, you just need to be the best version of yourself. And if people don't like it, 
then they're never going to like it. And if you try to please all of these people that you're trying to please, you're going off the road. So stop caring about it. Dig into what you're really good at and what you're passionate about. And you just have to get used to it. How do you think doing a live show helped you make that shift in your mindset? It was over. It's sort of like when you go and you speak on a stage. When you go and you speak on a stage, you can't go up and record yourself and then go and edit it and then replay it like a film. You know, it kind of goes back to sort of, this is who I am. And I had done a ton of podcast editing while I was, you know, sort of dealing with this perfectionism and video editing as well, where I was getting these recordings and I was taking out all of these things. And by the time I got to the end of them, I would listen to it and I was like, this doesn't even sound like this person. Like, this doesn't sound like the person who is addressing on stage. And I actually had a conversation with one of my clients and said, let me just throw something by you. Like, you don't want the likes and the ums and the this and that and the other. And we're taking all that out. As an editor, this isn't me trying to save myself time and effort. This is me saying, this doesn't sound like you anymore. And so here's a video of you speaking on stage and here's you on a podcast that I edit that you love. I said, we've got to meet somewhere in the middle because I think when someone listens to your podcast, it's a different medium. And I think a medium that's going to stand the test of many, 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 many years because it is this way, because it's you are with a person that's on a walk with their dog, they're on a run, they're on a commute. They don't just put it on in the background. It's a different thing altogether. And I think if someone connects with you in that medium, and then they go and look for you in other places, which of course you want. But when they go there, they're like, this isn't the same person. This is not the same person I watched or I listened to or whatever. I was going to say it sort of parallels the argument for the overdoing it with the Instagram filters or the Photoshop. It's sort of disturbing in the what I imagine is insecurity that it really represents that people aren't comfortable with who they actually are and they feel to be accepted they need to you know get rid of the wrinkles or skinny themselves up a little bit or edit down having said that i edit like crazy and i think for me that's where the storytelling comes in i love the control of being an editor so for me, where I come from with interviews is I come from the background of documentary where I might think before I start, okay, I'm doing this film about how dealcasters started and I need Chris to tell me about his relationship with Jim and I already have this part about how they met and I already have this part about the show now, but I need him to talk about the conversation that initiated the show. So I have very specific requirement. And then I need it to have a certain tone to match the storyline. And so when I go into that, I'm asking you, like, Chris, tell me about that conversation with Jim. And then you'll start to tell me and I'll say, like, OK, but I need this part of it. And I'll ask you maybe three or four times the same question to get you say it in a different way. And so I'm trying to just get this nugget that then I can put in the show. And so I'm really trying to learn how to get away from that idea of I'm still looking for all the pieces I can put together. Does that make sense? As opposed to just like creating yeah. the show. I love it. I wish I had that ability, but I don't. And so that's why when I hear you talking about that, I'm thinking to myself, geez, I, I need to do more of that. 
<laughs> well, why not be inspired to just be better as a podcaster, as an interviewer, and think a little bit more like that? And I just think like as content entrepreneurs, as content creators, like you can learn from so many other things like what you're talking about. You're actually saying, I want to treat an interview much like a documentary. And to be honest, like, I don't think there's enough of that. I feel like if you're going to create something that is an interview, but it tells a story during that whole process, I think most often people are just kind of like, well, you know, the worst is the stock questions where it's like, you know, if you could be a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? And, you know, whatever the stock questions that you get on a lot of podcasts or maybe the same questions that people ask certain guests on multiple podcasts. And it just kind of waters down, I think, everything. But I think if you were to look at it the way you're looking at it, it kind of messes me up mentally in a good way in how we interview. I'm always looking for different ways to interview guests like we have on Amazon because you know, we can't just like, oh, well, tell us your story. And like, the book is about this, you know, tell us about your journey in the book and things like that is, of course, you're going to get there. But there's ways to kind of ask questions and get the guest to uncover things that they did not bring out in previous interviews, like you're doing right now. I mean, these are things that I haven't talked about in any interview I've ever done. I'm not sure if that was intentional, may have been, maybe it's some little Marion Abrams witchcraft that's happening here, but that's how you get better is you figure out these things and you try them and sometimes they flop and sometimes they go, wow, that worked. That person said, wow, nobody's ever asked me that before. You know, thank you for this that, you know, got me whatever. So I think that what I hear from podcasters and interviewers too much is they don't have that intentionality and they don't realize how much they can direct, in a positive way, direct the conversation to what they think their audience is interested in. And too many times I'll say to somebody, you know, how did you choose your questions? Well, I asked the guest what they'd like to talk about. And I think like, that's nice, but is that respectful of your audience? I know you do a ton of preparation. So how do you prepare and then how do you design your questions? I know you don't read from a list, but I'm interested to know what your process is. I look at it, and Jim does to a certain degree as well, as there's so much water coming out of the fire hose as it relates to content and live video and audio podcasting and all of these things. And everybody's trying to jump at this and trying to get in and trying to fit in. But I think no one hits the pause button and goes, hey, right now we're creating content that's going to outlive us. And this is what I've learned from repurposing all of this stuff that we've done is that there was interviews that we did two years ago that we hear about now. And that someone said, hey, when you talked to Chris Kermitzos and he said this and he said this, I want you to know that this did this for me. Or I started my podcast because of this, that, or the other. And that was like two years ago. And at the time, of course, we didn't think about that. And like, we think about it and kind of cringe a little bit, like, you know, whatever. But I feel like if we treat these things more importantly than we really are, I think then you're not just whipping it you know, out. You're not just like, we're going to knock this interview out with Chris Stone and you know we're going to talk about this, that, or the other. Like I don't treat our shows at all like that. And there's a lot of people who are quote unquote live streamers and there's zero planning. Are you willing to share your process? Because I know you're thorough. How do you prepare? And then how much do you plan your questions? So if it's someone who's an author, maybe they have a podcast and then they have like a certain 
kind of theme as of late. We'll go and we'll just kind of like consume their content. Why wouldn't you? They're on the show. It's going to help you get better anyway. So if they're an author, we'll go buy the book and read it and get better from that. See, that's the other thing I think that's underrated, not just the networking aspect of podcasting, but the ability to have potentially some incredible guests who can feed you as a human being and get great information that you can apply in your own business, apply as a human. And so that's one thing that we do. And usually that will generate a thought, not really a theme, because we definitely want to keep it a little loose. Like I don't like formulated questions. I'll usually have a couple of ideas. We had David Meerman Scott on Dealcasters who's written, this is his eighth edition of the new rules of marketing and PR. This is a book that's like been written in, you know, a hundred different languages. And it's like in a thousand different universities as a textbook. It's like, you know, killer. I mean, this guy's a monster. How many interviews has this guy had where he's been asked the same questions? So that's the other thing we'll do is We'll go to Podchaser or we'll go to YouTube or whatever, and we'll just kind of go through some of their latest interviews. And we're going to try to not ask the same questions that he or she has already been asked. But first and foremost, it just goes back to 101 in terms of serve the audience. And so our audience, which we've sort of identified with Dealcasters, is other people that are content creators, content entrepreneurs, people that are business owners that want to get better, that want to learn how to do certain things. And so the questions will always go towards them because if we don't do that, then what are we doing? So it really is focusing on that avatar and so consuming that content. And I might write out a few sort of themes, maybe three or four different themes in a book, and I'll keep it there. But sometimes the guest, you know, like I'm sure I am right now, Marion, is taking things left or right. And so move like a shark. And that's another skill as a podcast host is when that goes there and you get the sense that your guest is passionate about something, get into it, like roll into it. And even if you don't feel like it, like I've got three or four other things I've written down that I want to ask, don't force it. You know, make this person the star, make sure that they're serving your audience, you know, on the way and just cross the finish line together. You guys are so good at making your guest the star. I mean, you do all the prep and you do the videos in advance and all of that. I think that's great. The platform that you present. So I know that you guys are now profitable. Can you talk a little bit about that side of it, how you balance the business side? And we've talked really solely about the creativity side, which is what we said we were going to talk about. But I'd like to touch on the business side because that is why most of us do this. You know, we still have to feed our families, even if we're enjoying creativity. Yeah. So Amazon's a little strange in that most people compare Amazon to YouTube and they're different, you know, other than they have the live streaming platform. That's really the only similarity. And, you know, it's like, The reason why people go to YouTube is to go to get something for free, to learn something for free. The reason why they're seeing your video on Amazon is because they're there to buy something. And so you have a completely different audience. 
Like our run of show is intentionally to say, okay, we're here to serve the audience that's here to watch us. So it's a podcast. It's not a QVC or home shopping network. And I think a lot of people, when they look at Amazon, they look at it like the solo influencer is talking about this product and here's this product and here's this product. And it's, you know, hurry up. It's 15% off until the top of the hour. And so when we went live from the very first time, Dealcasters was born on the platform. We said, this is not what we do, but we have a way to kind of weave in the products during the course of the conversation. Like when you were on, you had your Samsung Q2U microphone there. We may have talked about it, may have mentioned it. You know, any things that inspire us, maybe your interface, like the stuff that's there. The chat's open. So if somebody jumps in and asks a question about something, we'll obviously weave that into the conversation. But we don't have this overarching, oh, I've got to make money. It's just not what we're doing. And I think that it goes to one of the great things about live videos. People can see that. Like, we're not showing up and trying to game the system. We're trying to figure out everything there is, every little nuance that Amazon is doing around this. And they move the goalposts, they change the rules, there's guidelines, you know, all of those things. Like, we keep those things in mind, but we always keep our run of show the same. And we've never, ever gotten strikes or like, you know, negative feedback. We create great content that people come and watch. And we have an inordinately high amount of traffic that's brought to the platform from offsite. So Amazon obviously loves that. So we went and bought dealcasters.live and it was like three bucks. And when we did that, we said, okay, every time we do a show, we're just going to redirect Then, you know, when you click on Dealcasters Live, it'll take you to the show. Then we realized we can do subdomains. So right now, if you were to go to marion.dealcasters.live, you would be able to watch the show that Marion Abrams was on. Nice. Uh, Yes. So, like, when we started doing that, and then we started doing, like, when we do product videos, when we do shows, all of those things, we just, our podcasts, we put them in the show notes, YouTube, all of that stuff. We put all of those redirect links in, and that drives traffic to Amazon to watch our shows. And then if they're there and they happen to buy something, either from our show or something else, we also get credit for that from a commission standpoint. So like, if you were to go right now to marion.dealcasters.live, watch the show, and then say, oh, I'm on Amazon. I needed to pick up some Nutella for my waffles and a pair of boots. You would do that, and then after it ships, we would get, at no cost to you, you know, 3% on this and 4% on that. So when we saw that was happening, we were like, well, of course we're going to take advantage of that. I mean, everyone's, you know, affiliate revenue is one of the greatest ways that you can make some money. And your goal is to grow your audience, and basically you're growing your audience simultaneously with selling more products and making more money. So that makes total sense. So how long did it take to tip the balance to becoming profitable for you guys? Probably a year. It took about a year. And do you do once a week episodes or more? I would say on average, it's every other week. Sometimes we'll go three times a week, but it would depend on our guests. So you don't feel the need to stay with a set schedule? We don't. It would be great if we did, because maybe we'd be more intentional. But I think we want to be flexible so that we can have great guests. 
And so if we were really like, well, we have to do it on Wednesday at noon or whatever, it would really exclude a lot of people or kick the can down the road. And, and as opposed to having them in June, they would be in September, or like all of that kind of stuff. And then we'll do shows where it's just Jim and I and we'll, you know, how to set up a podcast or we have a fun show that we have called Dealcasters After Dark. Or we'll do What's Dealcasters After Dark? What happens on that you know, show? It sounds like a Cinemax show, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We had this idea that we would just do a kind of a loose, fun show, and we tried like five or six other things too. And this is the one that most people were like, oh, you know, when's the next Dealcasters After Dark? I was like, well, people really like this. So that was just like a different experiment that actually worked out because that's the other thing is a platform like that, you can really try some innovative things because there's really only like about 2,000 content creators on the platform. And I would say maybe 20% of them are the ones that are really leaning into it and doing a lot of content. But it took us about a year to do that. And we go live, I mean, on average, maybe every other week. Sometimes we'll go three weeks without going live on the platform. But again, we try to make each show special. If like we say, okay, we're going live every day, I don't think it's going to be a special, you know? So we really try to do something cool every time we go. How do you... Think about keeping your show grounded. You know, if you're a content entrepreneur and you're someone who is either thinking about going on, whether it's Amazon Live or eventually these other platforms that uh, are coming, the mindset for a lot of people is like, well, that's just not me. And I think if you already are working on what you're doing for your particular brand, for your content, your theme, like whatever it is, you don't necessarily have to change it for you to solve their problem that happens to relate to a purchase that they need to make. So I think that's how we look at it. It's not like a, how can we go live in order to sell the most stuff? What we do is we go live to solve someone's problem. And that may be if we're interviewing someone and they have an issue with repurposing content and we're talking to David Meerman Scott, and he talks about how you use AI to do this, that, or the other. And then if they happen to buy that book or they happen to get a microphone while they're there, like that's helping them. And so if they're asking questions related to that, you're not necessarily the salesman in the store, even though technically I guess you are. We just look at it as we're just us. That's who we are. And that's what you were doing before you started the show. Exactly. That's exactly what we were doing. I mean, we weren't showing up in Costco, you know, with microphones on, on the corner. Can you imagine that? But people like, were calling you and saying, what mic should I use and what camera should I use and how do exactly. I set this up? Right. Exactly. And we didn't have content that we could shoot them, but now we do. And so that's really, you know, for us, the way we need to always continue to think because the rug could get pulled out from underneath us. And so, you know, I don't want it to end because we're having fun doing it. And really, if you're not having fun doing something, do something else. I feel like it's opened so many doors for you guys. And you guys are meeting great people. And it's been really a joy to watch. And you deserve it all. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marion. I appreciate it. Your show's awesome. You know, I'm a huge fan. So I'm totally fangirling right now. I'm going to leave that in, by the way. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. I always appreciate the time that you spend with us. And thank you, Chris Stone, for this great and thoughtful interview and for having me on your show and starting this professional friendship. Thank you, Chris Zarnock, for your editing on this and many of the other episodes. And if you want to know more about working with me, I love helping podcasters and content creators get really effective in their messaging. 
There are a million launch programs and launch consultants out there. But what happens then? What happens after you launch? When you find you're still publishing episodes and you're not getting the results that you expected? That's where I can come in and help you work through all of that in a real grounded way. So if you want to know more about that, go to madmotion.com. In fact, that's the hub for everything that I do. On the Grounded Content tab, you'll find a form where you can reach me and tell me what you thought about Chris, whether you're on a journey of continuous improvement, whether any of that matters to you at all. And I'll see you next time.